The text that is in front of us today, which is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, are, is a text for the greatest example in the Bible that we have of humility. And it's the example of Jesus. And Paul had this in mind as we went over the first four verses of chapter 2 last week. And we saw that there were three things that we were told to do. These three things are really, really important for us to be Christ-like. We're supposed to walk like Christ, walk as Christ walked. These three things are really important. Do nothing from selfish ambition. That's good for all of us to evaluate. We talked about this is a particularly dangerous spot for those that are in the spotlight because you can begin to do things to be seen by people instead of doing things for God without selfish ambition. The second thing it says is do everything that you do, do it without conceit, without pride. We pointed out that you are never more like the devil than when you are prideful and you are never more like Jesus than when you are truly humble. The final thing was to put other people's interest above your own interest. Now, Jesus lived this way. This is the example of Jesus's lifestyle. He did nothing from selfish ambition. He always did what the Father wanted to do. He did nothing out of conceit and he put other people's interest above his own interest, so much so that he went to the cross and he laid down his life for all of humanity that he might make salvation available for everyone who is in the entire world and God uh, would work through it. Now, uh, as I said, this is a great passage, and what I'd like to start do, start with is reading it. So let's read it, and then we'll come back, and we'll work our way through it. So in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That the name, uh, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." Jesus, as we look at this passage, is the most influential person that has ever lived. It's, it's interesting. There's no one that's even close. If you just go around the world and you look in history and you say, who, who are the options for who the Messiah could have been? If the Messiah has already come, who are the options for him? Jesus is far out in front of everybody else. There is the Jesus effect that that he has, he has uh, permeated every aspect of culture around the world and God is continuing to use him. And we see that that all started by him deciding to empty himself and become a man. So let's pick it up in verse five. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he's probably talking about the verses, verse, verse four. Don't, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but... Put other people's interest above your own interest. But also, we get an idea of the thinking of Jesus when he came to this earth. It says then in verse 6, who, being in the form of God. That word in the Greek for form means exactly like. It isn't form. It is, the word is no way like a copy. It's like the, the center or the essence 
of, of who God is, being in the form of God, being the same essence as who God is. It tells us that Jesus is God. Now, this is such a, a strong point when it comes to the scriptures that the Bible clearly teaches Jesus' deity. I mean, it is, it is undeniable that it's taught. There are so many different places that we could go to teach it. I've had people tell me before, well, Jesus never said that he was God. And I don't think that he used those exact words because number one, if somebody says, I'm God, you're prone not to believe them. Number two, you have to come to the discovery of whom Jesus is, and it's better for other people to tell us, but Jesus certainly said some things that revealed who he is. Remember in the Old Testament that there is this complexity with God. We find three persons of the God had spoken of sometimes. We find two spoken of in other places. We see the Father and the Son in Daniel chapter 7. as the, We see a picture of the Ancient of Days on thrones, and the Son of Man coming on clouds and given dominion and power and a kingdom forever and ever. That's in the Old Testament. Now, I want to look at just a few verses that tell us that Jesus is God. These are the old standbys, and then I threw in a fresh one at the end. So the first one is John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. That's pretty clear. It says directly, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And then in John 1.14, this is just 10 verses down, now we get a clarity as to who the Word is. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. So the Word that is God became flesh and we beheld the glory of God through it. In John 8, 55, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He had said to the scribes and Pharisees, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. And they had said, you're not yet 50 years old. And Abraham saw your day. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And it's not just a claim to have been in existence when Abraham was alive, but it's the I am, the name of God, which was spoken from the burning bush, the I am that I am. In Hebrews 1, uh, 6 through 8, this is a strong passage for the deity of Jesus. God calls Jesus God. And, and this is one that I've used forever when I'm talking to someone who doesn't believe Jesus is God. And I'll read it and say something like, if God calls Jesus God and you say he's not, who should I believe? I think I probably should believe God so look at, again, Hebrews 1, verses 6 through 8. But when he, again, uh, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, there's our first clue. All the angels of God are worshiping this child who's born. And the angels, and to the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and ministers a flame, uh, and ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. The same passage goes on to say, God, therefore your God has anointed you. So God calls him twice in this section. God calls Jesus God. Colossians chapter one tells us that he is the express image of the living God and all things were made by him, for him, and through him. 
I got another one that I, I found today that I really like, and it's John 17, verse 5. Here Jesus is preaching, excuse me, is praying what we would call the Lord's Prayer. He's praying before he goes to the cross. And he's praying about us. And he's praying to the Father. And in the beginning, in verse 5, he says this. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus prays in a prayer and says, I had this glory with you before the world was, and now glorify yourself in me again. And that, that, that I might have that glory with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so th th that's just a handful of passages. But, but I want to tell you if, you, if you question it, if you go, I don't know that Jesus is really God, then take some time to study it. Because it is overwhelmingly clear that the authors of the New Testament wanted to communicate that Jesus is God. Uh, Thomas falls down on the ground after being said, put your hands, your, your hands in my hands on the scars and in my side. And uh, Thomas falls down and says, my king and my, or my Lord and my God, actually calls him God. And Jesus didn't go up, up, don't call me God. And you think that he would have if Jesus wasn't God. And you have so many things like that. We could go through so many different things so that we can have this confidence that he is God that he's part of the Trinity, who are one in essence, but three distinct persons. They are the, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the, the Father, the Son is not the Spirit, but all three of them are one. Again, clearly taught in Scripture. And we do that by looking, because some people will say, well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Well, the, the word Bible isn't in the Bible, so I, I don't know, you know, what to say. But the, but the Bible clearly teaches things that God did, the Son does, the Father does, and the Holy Spirit does. And so then it says of Jesus, this mind of Jesus, that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now, let me just spend a couple of minutes. This is one of the most misused passages for the faith movement. The, the faith movement teaches, one of their teachings, one of their false teachings is that we are gods with a little g, that God created us in his image and that we are gods. And once we realize that we are gods, then, you know, the, the world opens up to us and uh, we, we're creative like God. This is, what they, this is what they teach. Clearly, the Bible never says that, but they'll use this passage. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So they're saying that we're supposed to have the mind that being in God's image, they'll use that form of God to speak of being in his image, that we should not consider it robbery to be equal with God. To which I will just respond. It is probably the most, one of the most dangerous teachings that's out there today when you exalt people and get them to the place where they think that they can not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus, it wasn't robbery for Jesus to think he was equal with God because he was God. It'd be like if I'm loading up a TV in front of my house and somebody, one of the neighbors runs up and goes, hey, stop stealing that TV. I could say, I'm not stealing the TV because it's already mine. There's no way I can steal a TV that belongs to me. And so Jesus didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God 
because he was already equal with God. When Kenneth Copeland or Casey, Casey Treat or some of these other faith teachers say that you're God, that's robbery. You are, you are trying to take from God what is God's. And let me just say this, in case you think you are, you're not God. All right? Not, you're not God with a small g. In fact, that's the opposite of what this text is about, which is it was what's crazy. This text is about you emptying yourself of everything that is prideful and living for other people, not exalting yourself up to being like God, which is exactly what the enemy did with Adam and Eve in the garden. It is an extremely dangerous teaching and one to be avoided at all costs. So, Jesus didn't consider it to be robbery to be equal with God because he was God and, and he couldn't rob God of being God because they both are. Um, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. So this is the first step down. Je we're, we're going through Jesus humbling himself and he makes himself of no reputation by becoming a baby that is laid in a manger. And he has no reputation because nobody knows who he is. I mean, Mary knows, Joseph knows, but everybody else, he's just a baby. He's a baby that has to learn like every other baby. He's a baby that's got to learn how to speak. He's a baby who's got to learn how to be potty trained. The, the whole thing. And, you know, Jesus certainly didn't say to Mary and Joseph that night, I'm God, everything's okay. Just give me some time to grow up here. I got things under control. No, he was 100% human and 100... He was fully human and fully God. It's the best way to put it. 100%, 100% doesn't make sense. But fully human and fully God. And so Jesus made himself of no reputation. Now, why is that a big thing? Because this is the God of the Old Testament. This is, he has a great reputation. But he laid that all aside to become this child that was laid in this manger. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant in the likeness of men. So first of all, he empties himself by giving up his reputation completely. And then the next thing he does is go even lower. It's, it's one thing to be God who becomes a man. It's another thing to become God that becomes a man that becomes a servant. His whole life is to be a servant. If God were going to become man, and we didn't know the story of Jesus, we might think that God would become, you know, a great king, that he would become one who would lead over people. But instead, Jesus became a servant. He, he became a man. He, he, he poured out uh, his, his life in such a way, trying to find my spot here, poured out his life in such a way, um, gave up his reputation, then took the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So that Jesus, being found in the appearance of a man now, and that word for appearance is interesting. There's two words for form in Greek. One of them means to be exactly like it. Another one means to be in stages. So in this word for appearance, he doesn't use the same word that he uses earlier when he says, who being in the form of God. It's a different word, Greek word, and it's a, it's a word that means stages. You would use that word to talk about the stage of a caterpillar or the stage of a butterfly. 
it's going to change. So there's going to be stages. So I had to use that word when he said that Jesus was in the form of God, there would be some problems in the Greek. But here he's in the appearance of man, which means he's not going to stay in the appearance of man. This was a stage that he was in. Now, he's got a glorified body and he will have that glorified body forever, but he will one day return to his throne is the idea. So um, becoming a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So first of all, he empties himself of his reputation. He becomes a man. Then he becomes a servant as a man. And now he becomes obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross, which is the worst death you could die. So that Jesus became completely obedient to what the Father wanted by humbling himself. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords who has become a man and humbled himself to this point. And there are people today who will not follow Jesus because they don't want a crucified Savior. They don't want someone who has humbled themselves in this way. They see this as being a shameful thing instead of him humbling himself and surrendering himself. So then there's the therefore. And this therefore represents just an absolute huge shift. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, which is the word highly there, hyper exalted him. God has, has lifted Jesus up. We've learned that if we humble ourselves, that God will exalt us. We know that. But here, Jesus has humbled himself even to the point of death. And so God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now, the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. And I was trying to think of how exactly that is quoted in uh, James, uh, in the book of James. Um, but it, it, it talks about demons believing and trembling at his name. So is he talking about the name of Jesus here or is he talking about Lord? And this is a, this is a debate among theologians. Because in verse 11, it says, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the reason that this is a debate is a debate is because in the Old Testament, the name of God was holy, so they wouldn't write it out. They wouldn't even speak it. When they would come, when they would be quoting a passage that had the name of God in it, they would replace it with either the name or Lord. Adonai. They would use the, the word Adonai to replace it because they didn't, they thought God's name was too holy to be spoken. And so they wrote it out with four vowels. This is called the Tetragrammaton. You can tell when it's the Tetragrammaton in your Bible in the Old Testament because it's got a capital, a large capital L and then large letters again, but smaller O-R-D. In, if it's Adonai and not the Tetragrammaton, it'll be a capital L and then O-R-D in small caps. So that's just a way you can tell as you're reading through, especially the Old Testament, when Lord is, is the actual Tetragrammaton, it is the Y-H-W-H. And we don't know for sure how his name is pronounced. Now, every so often, somebody will come up to me and tell me, I know how his name was pronounced, and I'm glad you do because no one else does, all right? So we, we just don't know. We don't, were there other vowels in it? 
were there, were there, there were vowels in it, but were there other consonants in it? We just don't know the exact way. And maybe, and maybe that's for the best, really. So there are those theologians who believe that the name that he gives him is Jesus Christ as Lord, being a connection to the name Yahweh. When, when I dive into this, I find myself believing that both are true. It's not an either or, but both are true. First of all, there's power in the name of Jesus. His name was exalted and there's power in that name. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. Which is why we say at the end of prayers, when there's no command in the Bible to say it, by the way, but why we say at the end of prayers, um, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And I, I almost never say a prayer that I don't end it with in Jesus' name. By myself, in groups, with people, that's what I do. It's a, it's a good reminder to us that we should be praying for things that Jesus would want because we're asking in his name. So he's not going to give us something that he doesn't want to give us, so we're asking in his name. And the name of Jesus, again, is so powerful that even demons tremble and it's a pretty amazing thing that you have this name, which is a human name now, given to him when he's born, Jesus or Joshua, meaning God is salvation, and that that name, Jesus or Joshua, gets exalted above measure. God lifts up that name so we can say the name of Jesus now. We can call out on his name and there's authority in the name of Christ. And so I, I believe that. But I also believe that Jesus is Lord. It was the angel of the Lord from the burning bush speaking to Moses. When you go back to that passage, you see that it's very, it's very conflated and the angel of the Lord speaking as the angel of the Lord and speaking as God. And when Moses says to him, who should I say sent me? The angel of the Lord says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. So I do believe there is a sense in where Jesus' name is Yahweh because he is Yahweh and he is Jesus. And I think that Paul, perhaps, as he wrote this, was even thinking about both of those. But the point is that he humbled himself, emptied his reputation, came as a servant, went to the cross and died, and God lifted him up. And this is the great example for us. And when he, he's lifted him up to the extent that today there is rarely a spot on the earth that doesn't know about him or that hasn't influenced him. And more and more people are hearing of them. In fact, in Matthew 24, the Bible tells us that the gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. You want a true sign for the return of Jesus? The gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. That's, that's, that's what Jesus said. All right, so he gives him this name that is above every name uh, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So we're supposed to have this mindset. What's he telling us? He's saying that we're supposed to have the mindset where we empty ourselves of our reputation, where we take the form of a servant and we pick up our cross and follow him. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did it from the position of God and did all of those things. But you and I, as believers, are to do the same thing. We are not to worry about our reputation. Let God do that. We are to be servants. Jesus said, you see what I've done for you? You call me Lord, Master, and I am? 
But I washed your feet, now therefore wash one another's feet. Be a servant for one another. So we are to have the same mind he has. And when that happens, we will be exalted by God. And the exaltation that we want from God, because then it's for God's purposes. It's for God's glory. It's, it's for the Father. That however we might be lifted up, however God might use us, it's for the glory of God. We want that kind of exaltation. Um, going back to the name of Jesus just really quickly, Luke 10, 17, Jesus has sent out the 70 disciples and when they return, they're excited that demons are subject to them. Here's what they say to Jesus. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So it was in the name of Jesus that the demons were subject. Just again, pointing out that I think that there is power in his name. Now, some might point out, and, and there is the Jesus-only movement that's out there that will say, you've got to use the name of Jesus. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you don't baptize in the name of Jesus, you're not really baptized, you're not really saved. If you don't really call out to Jesus in the name of Jesus, you're not really saved. You do realize that we use the name Jesus, which is an anglicized form of the Greek name of Jesus. The name in Greek, as far as I understand, is pronunciation. Okay, I might butcher this a little bit. All right. Is Esos. That's the Greek name for Jesus. We use Jesus, which is the anglicized version of that. His Hebrew name was Joshua. And you say, well, should I use Joshua? And, you, and you'll see people doing that. They'll just use the name Joshua, which I don't have a problem with, as long as you're not using it, thinking that somehow it makes you superior to someone that doesn't use the name Joshua instead. And sometimes it comes off that way. If every time that I came to the name Jesus, I said Joshua and talked about Joshua, it almost, it, it, it kind of goes against what everybody else is doing. And so it comes off with an air of superiority that if you're going to do it, you got to fight against. You got to figure out how to be able to fight against it. But here's the thing. If you're Greek and you use Esos, you're American and you use Jesus, you're Jewish and you use Yahshua or Joshua, God knows who you're talking about. God understands the different ways that different languages change the names of people. And God isn't like, I'm so confused. Who are you talking about? I'm sorry you said the name of Joshua. You didn't say the name of Jesus. And so for, for the groups to say, you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. What about people that speak Greek today? What about people that speak Hebrew today? That's what they do. They speak that name. It, the name of the actual name of Jesus didn't come into play until just a few hundred years ago. All right. So uh, therefore, God has highly exalted him, uh, highly exalted him, giving him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is, that everyone in the world is going to know that Jesus is God. And everybody's going to bow. But at that point, they're not going to be saved. The, the window for grace will be closed after Jesus returns, raises everyone from the dead, and then everyone who has ever existed will be at one place in front of Christ, and there will be a, a bending of the knee at that point. Not for salvation, but just in simply knowing who it is. 
For you and me, there's a passage in James 4, verse 10, that says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's what this example is. We are supposed to have that same mind that Christ had. Now, I cannot express for us as Christians the importance of us taking these last two studies we've done and, and implementing them into our lives. That we get rid of selfish ambition, that we fight against conceit, that we put other people's interests above our own, that we empty ourselves of our reputation, we take on the form of a servant and, and God, um, what was the other one? We take on the form of a servant and, oh, and, and pick up our cross and follow him and die to ourselves and live for Christ. That in every way, we are to do that. And there's a, um, there's a joke that kind of helps to really grasp the concept of what we're talking about and I hesitated as to whether or not I would do it because I'm bad at telling jokes, all right? Just so you guys know. I can joke around well, but when I tell jokes, eh, not so funny. Um, that, that's the groundwork to make sure that this is going to bomb right now, right? When you, when you start it, that, the first thing you should do is never start a joke like that, all right? That's the first thing that you shouldn't do. So five people are on an airplane. It's a small airplane. Um, and the, uh, the pilot, something goes wrong with the plane. The plane starts moving around. And the pilot says, hey guys, the, the, the plane's going down. And there's only four parachutes. And it, it, there's five, including the pilot. And so the pilot says, I'm sorry, but I'm out of here. He grabs one of the parachutes and he jumps out of the plane. There's also, I forgot to tell you, this is why I'm so bad at jokes. There's also a, a, a lawyer, a preacher, and a doctor, and a child on the plane. All right? So those are the people. Pilot, lawyer, uh, doctor, uh, child, and preacher. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's why I'm so bad at this. Uh, and so the, uh, the doctor stands up and says, I've saved a lot of lives in, in, my, in my life and I've got more to save. And so it'd be, it'd be best for me. And he grabbed one of the parachutes and he jumped out of the plane with the parachute. The lawyer stands up. This ends up being a lawyer joke in the end if you're a lawyer here, sorry. Uh, the lawyer stands up and says, um, you know, to become a lawyer, it takes a lot. And I'm, I'm the smartest man in the world. And so I can't be taken from this world. And so he grabbed one of the, the parachutes and, and, and flew off. And the preacher looked at the kid and said, um, you've got your whole life in front of you. And so you take the parachute and go. I've, I've lived a good, full life. And the kid said to the preacher, settle down, preacher. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jumped out of the plane. <laughs> the reason, hey, I got a good laugh out of it. After, after all that, that's good. Thank you. Maybe I'll take up a stand-up comedian job. No. <laughs> the reason that it's good is because you've got a guy who thinks he's the smartest person in the world who does one of the dumbest things you could possibly do, right? And when we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. And when we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. The best thing that you could do for Christ the best thing that you could do for yourself and how God wants to use you for the gifts and the callings that God has given you is to take these principles from these last two studies from verse 1 to verse 11 and implement them into your life. The, the, the earlier you grab it, the earlier you get it, the better it is. And when you identify something, when you say something that makes you realize, gosh, that's prideful on my part, then you repent from it. When, when you identify selfish ambition in your life, because even though we would like to get rid of it all, 
But we still have our flesh that battles against the spirit and the spirit battles against the flesh. But if we could prioritize these, we would be like Christ. In fact, I, I believe that this verse is, this passage is so important for us to have this mindset that everything else will fall into place. If you and I go, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to empty myself of my reputation. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to not do anything out of selfish ambition, that we will be exalted, that God will be moved in powerful ways. And the disciples wanted to be great. And Jesus said to them, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then learn to be a servant to all. And that's the same thing that each one of us has been told. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much again for this passage that speaks to us so much about every aspect of our lives and that Jesus became the great example for us. Him leaving heaven and coming to this earth, becoming a servant and dying and us emptying ourselves of our reputation, humbling ourselves and dying for you that we might live for Christ. And so, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We pray that you would help us to really grasp on to the truth that we find here, that we would live it. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.